every single aspect of Lyme disease from diagnosis, to if it even exists, to treatment, to where it exists is controversial. Welcome back to episode 64 of That's So Maven. Thank you so much for your kind words on last week's episode with Kat Dolan all about therapy and holistic psychotherapy. So many of you guys reached out saying that you appreciated the conversation and that, you know, we're trying to make going to therapy mainstream and caring for your mental health, not as like something is necessarily wrong with you, but as part of your overall health maintenance. And that's not to say, you know, if you need a little extra help, that there's anything wrong with that. I have been in therapy for 10 plus years and I have been in therapy to deal with depression and anxiety. But at the same time, I stay in therapy even when things are going well because like Kat said, it's all about building your emotional toolbox, which is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently and particularly because, you know, there's so much media out there and we consume so much media, especially, you know, if you're a blogger or podcaster or just in the digital media space all the time, you're taking in so much information and I've been working really, really hard at energy maintenance and if you're someone like me who's really sensitive, emotional, and just has a hard time kind of processing so many things happening all at once and and takes it all in. It's a really important practice and it's not something that I think I'm great at and I'm working really hard on at the moment. It's just kind of a practice that I'm having in looking at things that are happening in the world and being able to build a barrier between me and what is happening and knowing that I don't necessarily need to take on that energy and that I can empathize and I can you know, do what I can with my platform and with my own personal voice and bring attention to things that are important to me, but it is not like my personal mission to tackle every single problem in the world. And it is also not my personal or professional mission to take in everything that is happening in the world and do something about it, which I know, you know, for some people might sound really selfish, but for me, I'm a better person and I am better at my job and I'm better at contributing to the world when I pick the things that I'm going to become emotionally invested in and not allow myself to get so wrapped up in in everything that's happening. And I know, especially in the political climate that's happening, and I'm not going to get into that too much, but there's just a lot happening and it's easy to kind of take that all in and, and feel really, really like pulled down by it and something that has worked for me is to and I'm gonna get real hippy dippy here for a second but just focus on trying to you know vibrate at a higher frequency and I know that sounds like totally crazy and if you're not into it that's fine but for me I'm able to look at something and be like, okay, here is something that I might be able to help with and here's the best way I can have an impact with that, but I'm not going to let that bring my frequency down because then I'm just down in the dumps and it's it's hard for me to contribute anything when I'm feeling that way. So being able to identify what I'm capable of doing versus you know just taking on energy because I feel like I should be sad about something or something is making me sad, but there's 
20 degrees of separation there and maybe it's not my personal crusade to feel that sadness for somebody else. So I'm working really hard to protect my energy because I feel like I can be a better person and use my platform for a bigger force when I'm just focused on the things that I know are really, really important to me. And that looks different on everyone. And there are people out there who are literally saints and, you know, help every single person in every single area of their life and leave this huge impact. And I bow down to these people. They're incredible. But as someone who is very emotionally sensitive, it's just not an option for me because I feel like it makes me worse at being helpful, if that makes sense. So just adding that in there, since that is something that I know I have been struggling with a lot lately and thinking a lot about lately. And you know, things in my life right now feel really great. And I've had moments of feeling guilty about that because there are so many problems that are happening in the world. And I've had times where I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this great because there are so many people who are suffering. And if you're like me and you have those thoughts and you feel really guilty, I feel you, sister or brother, whoever you are that is listening to this, if that resonates with you, know that I get it and that one of the best things you can do is pick your causes and pick what you can contribute to and know that it's okay to not do it all. But yeah, I'm a work in progress as I'm sure you all know you are as well, but it's just all about you know self-improvement and giving yourself time and space and a lot of self-compassion. Speaking of personal mission... I want to introduce you guys to today's podcast guest, who is Cassie Johnston from Hopefully. And I have been friends with Cassie for a long time now, pretty much like since I started my blog like five and a half years ago and have followed her journey. She is incredible. I would say she's one of the top content creators in the space because she knows how to create content that resonates with people and that is clear and easy to understand and isn't, you know, super over the top. And she's a content creator. It's not, you know, just about pretty pictures, which, you know, those things can be really important as well, but that's really not what her brand is all about. And I have such admiration for her. And in the last year, she was diagnosed with Lyme disease and it has been a whirlwind journey for her. And she's chronicled a lot of it on her blog and on Instagram, and I know has inspired so many people and just helped educate so many people. And this has really become her personal crusade in in terms of caring for her own health and also educating the people around her because she found with her diagnosis, there were a lot of myths out there about what Lyme disease is and how to be diagnosed with it and how to treat it. And I mean, for me, I still have so many questions about it, but she helped to clarify so much information out there and she continues to do so on her blog. So I wanted to have a conversation with her just about, you know, her life in general and how she started Hopefully, but also, you know, what what her life looks like now that she's been diagnosed with Lyme and and how she's moving forward and she in true form has so many practical pieces of advice it's not just you know her telling her story which is extremely powerful in and of itself but she just has so many helpful tips and she's just been able to take a situation that she never asked for and never would have wanted and turned it into something that can help so many people and Yeah, I just think Cassie's truly amazing. And as I mentioned, as we get into the episode, she is just like an onion. Like you can just keep going and going layers and layers of who she is and her personality and her knowledge. I feel like she knows everything, like 
absolutely everything. So I'm just thrilled to have her on the show today, sharing her wisdom with all of you and me and answering a lot of the questions that I had around Lyme. And we get into a lot of other topics of conversation. So, you know, hopefully you can learn a thing or two about Lyme disease and just be better educated on it if you aren't all that familiar, but also learn a thing or two just from Cassie and her life wisdom. So make sure you guys stay tuned until the end of the episode. I have a few short PSAs for you, as well as who's coming up next week on the show. And I am off to Toronto this week. I have a wedding in Toronto, one of my best friends from high school, and I'm so excited to celebrate her wedding. It was really awesome to have her out here for my wedding, and it's super fun that three weeks later we get to go celebrate with her. And to be honest, I am really, really excited to attend a wedding that is not my own. I have been looking forward to this for a really long time, so I know it's going to be really special. And also just spend some time with my family and friends in Toronto. I haven't been back in like a year, which is way too long, and Toronto is my hometown, born and raised, and I love it there. So it's just going to be really, really nice. And taking that heat, because... People don't realize that summer in San Francisco is actually cold, so I'm ready for that East Coast heat. I'm going to regret saying that, but that's how I'm feeling right now. So with that, let's jump into the episode. Here's Cassie. Hi, Cassie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. I you know, was doing my research on you. In addition to like knowing you, I, I did my additional research, and I have decided that you are probably the most interesting person we've ever had on the show you just have so much depth and so much wisdom to share, and and I'm just honored to have you here today. Well, that is a huge compliment. Like, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> like, thank you. That is so nice to hear. I don't know if it's true, but it's so nice to hear. It is true. It really is true. It was like trying to narrow down the questions for you actually took me an hour because there are so many things that I want to talk to you about, and we're going to get into those questions and... I'm going to try and cut it down as much as possible, but you're just really fascinating. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. For the listeners who don't know that much about you, can you share just a bit more about who you are and and how you started Hopefully? Sure. Um, My background is in graphic design. That's what my degree is in. And that's what I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was like, I love this and I'm going to do it forever. And then I got out of college at 22 and got a real job and hated it hated it, hated it. And so I felt like, um, I was like wasting away in this cubicle and I needed some sort of creative outlet. And so I was reading a ton of blogs at the time, which I think is how a lot of bloggers start off just reading blogs. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that. And so I started working on it on nights and weekends. And it was just talking about kind of fitness and healthy eating. And it was a little bit of weight loss in there. Um, and people started reading it other than just my mom. And I thought, oh, this is actually kind of fun. And so um, I started putting a lot more time into it and it started to actually become a thing. And I ended up quitting my job. And um, when I had my daughter in 2014, I ended up quitting that, quitting my job and taking over doing um, Wholefully full-time. It wasn't called that back then, but it's called Wholefully now. Um, And since then, it's kind of morphed into this general holistic wellness website. We do a lot of healthy recipes, but we also talk about mental health. We talk, we do um, making your own beauty products at home. We do gardening and connection with nature. And we really, it's all the stuff I love. And I think a lot of people respond to that because it's stuff that makes you feel good. And so we talk a lot about 
all those kind of things. Yeah. And I mean, your content, in addition to just being really interesting, it's so well done. Like you just have an ability to communicate a message, whatever it is, and really break it down into actionable steps. And I think that's what really resonates with your audience is that you're you're speaking to them in a language that feels relatable. Like when I was reading your content on gardening, I was like, okay, like I could do this. Like I, I would love to, well, I don't have the ability to have a garden right now because I don't have a yard, but you know, one day when I do have that, knowing that you have these resources to help get started is the ultimate. And I think that's what really has resonated with your audience is how you're able to speak their language and help them get started on things that seem really intimidating. And that's, I think, really important to the whole Wholefully brand. Um, we, you know, there's a lot of aspirational like Instagram accounts or blogs, like I'll never you know, be the girl who wears $500 shoes walking down the street. But I think people can do everything I do. And like, there's nothing special about what I do. You just need someone to explain it to you. And so that's kind of our whole goal is how do we deep dive and explain these things like basic, like we just did a post recently about what it's like to go to therapy for the first time. You know why? Because the first time I went to therapy, I wanted someone to tell me like, do I have to lay down on the couch? Do I have to like, bring my own water. Like I wanted someone to break it down into those basic steps for me. And that really resonates with people. Exactly. I feel like a lot of your content is like stuff that I've Googled that I like kind of feel like I should know, but I don't. And it's so nice to have someone explain it to me and not make me feel badly for not knowing. Right. That's, that's a lot of what, how we figure out our editorial calendar. We're like, oh, I Googled this the other day and I felt kind of um, embarrassed to Google it. So maybe I should write a post about it because I'm sure there's someone else who felt embarrassed to Google it too. Totally. So I do want to talk a little bit about where you live and, and what that life is like for you. And I'm just curious about, you know, I know you now live in Indiana. Have you always lived in Indiana? Yes, I have. Okay. And so you, you have your farm and you guys kind of live a homesteading lifestyle. Is that something you were familiar with or was that, you know, you and your husband just went out on the limb? I'm just curious to hear about how, you know, you built your life there. Yes, we live on nine acres out in the middle of nowhere in southern Indiana. We're close to Louisville, Kentucky, but not like in the metro or anything like that. Um, and so... My husband and I both grew up in the country. I actually, we bought this place from my parents. So I actually grew up here. Um, my husband is from Northwestern Ontario, but he lived out in the country too. And so we grew up in kind of a gardening, like going on nature walks, like having the separation from the city life. But then when we met, um, I was actually living in the city and he immigrated to the US to come live with me in the city. And we were in a one bedroom apartment and like, it just felt um, it didn't gel with how we had grown up. And so it felt wrong. Like we enjoyed being able to walk and get coffee. We enjoyed having a library right next to us, but we knew that wasn't our long-term like lifetime path. And so, um, we started kind of looking at places to move. And my parents said, Hey, we would love to hand this place down and keep it in the family. And we said, well, I know someone who's looking for a place like that. And so it ended up working out that we bought this place and moved here. Um, my parents built their own little house kind of on the other side of our property. Um, and so it's been this really 
it's been a learning curve. I mean, cause as an adult, we haven't, we hadn't lived in a big place like this, but it's felt so right. Like we could make all these decisions to get chickens, to have a big garden, to do whatever we want. I mean, we could run around in the backyard naked if we wanted to. And it's, um, it's just, it fits with who we are as people. Um, and I think that's really authentic to what we wanted in life that I think it's not right for everybody, but it really works for us. I I mean, looking at your life there, I have moments of like, oh man, I I want that. You know, I want the space. I want to run around naked in my yard. You know, I don't even have a yard, but I know it comes with challenges and you've definitely talked about those before. So for people who are kind of looking to ditch the city life and, and, you know, build their own homestead, have some land. Like what are some challenges that you've run into that you wish you'd known before? Well, and that's something I'll say before I dig into that answer is that that's something that's been really important for me is to um, communicate both sides of it. It's not all sunshine and roses here. It's not always perfect. And so there's things like, um, we don't have a library. We live out in the middle of nowhere. We have no access to a library, which seems small until you've spent $100 on books in a month, and you're like, I really wish I had a library. Um, we have um, neighbors that we don't necessarily love. Thankfully, they're far away. Um, we have certain mindsets that don't gel with where we are in kind of rural America. Um, and then there's the bug situation and the rodent situation. Like, we found snakes in our basement before. Um, we have ticks. We have mosquitoes. Um, it's not... An, well, a big thing that took us when we first started was um, getting used to the sheer amount of hours it takes in a week to maintain a property like this. Um, it's just, it's a lot. I mean, it's it becomes your hobby. And that's why they, we call it a hobby farm, because that's what it is. It's our hobby. But it's a transition if you're not used to it. Totally. And I think that's something that you know, Kurt and I have talked about is that we we would love to have more space and we would love to, you know, have a hobby garden. But I, I definitely think it comes with a lot more work than a lot of people realize. And I just so appreciate the fact that you talk about all of that. And one thing you mentioned, which I think is a good segue into what you've been dealing with for the last year of your life is, is the ticks. Because I know you were diagnosed with Lyme disease and it's been a really tough year for you in sort of navigating your own, you know, health diagnosis and, and managing your symptoms. So if you're okay with it, I, I would love to kind of jump into that conversation and, you know, and how it, how it all started for you. Absolutely. Um, so I've always been, had ticks in my life growing up kind of in the country. We have ticks here. It's just part of the culture of living in the country and in the woods. And so I've had multiple tick bites throughout my life, but, um, we're in an area where it's never really thought that Lyme disease exists here. Um, at least, especially when I was growing up and, um, a little bit less. So now people are starting to accept that it's coming into this area, but we never thought it was a big deal. Um, and so last summer I was actually traveling. My husband and daughter and I were on a road trip to go up to Canada to visit his family. And I started to come down with what felt like just a cold, just a normal cold. And then within about three days of getting that, it started to get really bad. I started to get a, a fever. Um, I was having panic attacks. Um, I've never had a panic disorder before. And so it just came out of nowhere. I was having numbness in my hands and legs. I couldn't form words. I couldn't like see my vision was getting, it was terrifying. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. And 
I ended up coming home and we had a bunch of tests and no doctor could figure out what was going on with me. I got all kinds of brush off diagnosis. Like, um, you just have allergies or it's just anxiety that it's all in your head. And it ended up, it took about three months for me to find a doctor who was like, no, this is something going on and we're going to figure out what it is. And after many more tests, we figured out it was Lyme disease. And, um, I was shocked. I thought, well, but we don't have Lyme disease here. And so then I started to dive into the world of researching Lyme disease and figuring out how much misinformation there is out there about it, how many misconceptions there are. Um, and it's been really eye opening. and I'm actually really grateful for it because I feel like I have a voice that can kind of put behind this movement to tell people that, yes, it is out there and we can take care of it. We can fix this and we can make it better for everyone who's suffering from it. Definitely. And I think there's so much information, misinformation out there about Lyme disease and it's such a challenge to get diagnosed. And I'm wondering why, why is it so challenging to get that diagnosis? Well, at its root, Lyme disease and the bacteria that causes Lyme disease is an immune suppressor. And so what it does is it goes into your body and it says, hey, immune system, stop working. And um, so what happens when you go to get a blood test for Lyme disease, it is testing for the antibodies in your system. And so what will happen is Lyme disease will say, you're not going to make antibodies, but the test says, oh, there's no antibodies there, so you must not have Lyme disease. Um, and so it doesn't make sense that this test says, hey, I need to see Lyme, I need to see these Lyme disease antibodies, but Lyme disease says, I'm not going to let you make any antibodies. And so that's where you get a negative test. And so 55% of the standard Lyme disease tests that are out there are false negatives for an actual positive. And so I actually had two negative Lyme disease tests before I got my positive. And I thought, Hey, I'm fine. I don't have Lyme disease. It says negative right here on this lab report, but that wasn't the case. It's just, my body wasn't creating the antibodies that would show up on the test. Yeah. And I feel like there's also just a lot of controversy around it, especially within the medical profession where, you know, there are people who are out there, thankfully, who are supporting people who are, are struggling with Lyme disease. But there's also a lot of people who, you know, disagree with the disease itself. And I mean, you've talked about this before, but the only people who really suffer in that case is, is the patients themselves. And I can't even imagine what that experience must've been like for you to be told, you know, it's in your head, it's allergies and, you know, basically spend six months of your life trying to figure out what's going on with your body. Every single aspect of Lyme disease from diagnosis, to, if it even exists to treatment, to where it exists is controversial. There you can go online and find these forums where people are just fighting, which I guess you can find about anything, but in particular about Lyme disease. I mean, there's been people getting like doctors getting into like physical fights at conferences over it. Everything about it is incredibly controversial. And like you said, the saddest part is the people who are suffering are the people who are sick, the people who are sick with it. And like, I don't care about your ego. I just want you to fix me. I just want you to give me the tools to fix myself. And if you're fighting and squabbling over it, we're never going to get there. Totally. So, you know, what have some of the symptoms looked like for you? I know you talked about, you know, initially, but from what I understand, Lyme kind of manifests differently in people and over time manifests differently. What has been your experience with it? 
Yeah. Lyme can affect every system in your body. And for me, it was, it felt like I had a bad flu, a really bad flu for probably three or four days. And then it transitioned into neurological symptoms. And that's because I had neurological Lyme disease. So it actually infected my brain. Um, and so it turned into like my limbs would go numb. My, um, I would have this thing called rapid heating where it felt like if I was sitting in a car, someone flipped on the heated seats. Um, and so my whole body would flush and turn red and get really hot. Um, I would have like, um, panic attacks. Like I felt like the world was ending, like not just, I'm not just worried about something. Like I felt like I was going to die and someone was killing me. Um, and it was, and my experience is, unique. It ha Lyme disease manifests itself differently in every single body. And so there isn't just a particular set of symptoms to watch out for. Um, there are a few that are specific to Lyme disease. There's the bullseye rash, which I think a lot of people know about that if you get bit and you see something that looks like a bullseye, that it's probably Lyme disease, but that only occurs in um, maybe 20 to 40% of patients. Not everyone has it. And I certainly didn't have it. Um, but it's more thinking about your exposure is one of the best ways to kind of think about it. If I've been exposed to ticks and I can't explain it any other way, then it might be a good idea to look at this path. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. And I, I think because it manifests so differently in everyone, it makes it even harder to diagnose because there isn't just like this one symptom or several symptoms that are like an automatic, like, yes, you have Lyme disease. So for you, I know, you know, there, there are different treatment options out there. Ultimately, what did you decide to treat your Lyme? One of the, the most common way to treat Lyme disease is because it's a bacterial infection is through antibiotics and they are, um, there's a few different stages of Lyme disease. And so when you first get it, it's a very, um, it can be a very small infection that is treated with maybe a bottle of antibiotics. Um, actually one of the, um, women who worked for me had Lyme disease and that's how it was treated for her. Um, but if it goes undiagnosed for months and months and months, it becomes what's called late disseminated Lyme. And so that means it's all over your body and every system. And then the antibiotic treatment for that is very intense. It's um, a chest port, it's IV antibiotics for months or years at a time. And so I really talked with my doctors and I have a whole team of doctors about this, if this was the right path for me. And all of them said, it could work, but we're not sure it's going to work because it's not a guarantee once you get to that stage of late disseminated Lyme that antibiotics are gonna work for you, for you to get rid of it. And so for me, it was a cost benefit thing. That much long-term antibiotics, I mean, it wrecks you. It, it is not without side effects. And so we really talked about it and we said, if in the future I need to go on antibiotics, I will, it's not off the table, but for now we're gonna look into holistic methods. And so right now, my big thing is working to fix the terrain of my body, support my immune system through dietary lifestyle changes, herbal supplements, homeopathy. Um, and then we're going to go into using herbal antibiotics, um, to help treat, actually kill the Lyme disease. And so it's a longer process. Um, it's not, it's not paid for by insurance, unfortunately, but I feel like it's a more, it's more congruent with how I live my life and I'm not taking anything off the table for the future. Totally. And I think that's, you know, a decision that's very personal and depends on sort of what your symptoms are and what you have access to and, you know, what you can afford. It's, it's, 
very patient dependent and I'm I'm happy to hear you kind of explain that that was that was a decision that worked with your life because I think you know with any medical diagnosis there can be a lot of pressure to on both ends you know from the very traditional western medicine side of you know just take the medicine and you'll be fine but it's not that simple or on the other side of like treat this holistically, you know, medicine is bad for you and it will, you know, destroy you. Like there, it, it's both sides, you know? And so it takes a lot to kind of navigate that system and figure out, you know, what is going to work with my life. And that that's really ultimately why I asked the question is because I, I love that you've talked a lot about why you chose to go this route because it really does work better with your life and with your personal choices. And one of the things that I'm really grateful for Lyme disease is teaching me to stop ceding my power when it comes to healthcare. Like when I first got sick, I just wanted someone to fix me. I wanted to find a doctor who said, I will take care of it and here's what you need to do and I'll fix you. And I realized that's not going to happen. I am in charge of my healthcare. And part of that is taking all the information from all the different sides, formulating a plan and enacting it myself. I am the only one that's in control of my own health. And I had to stop trying to cede the power to other people. That's when I started to heal. When I said, I'm in control, I'm taking care of this. Totally. And I don't think most people learn that lesson of like what it means to be your own health advocate. I mean, it's challenging. It's hard. We, we put a lot of trust in other people and we need to because other people can be helpful to us. But at the same time, like you have to really, you know, ultimately advocate for, for what you need. And when something isn't working, you know, trusting your intuition to, change directions or to find somebody else who might be able to, you know, it's kind of a fine line between constantly searching for the person who's going to tell you what you want to hear, but also knowing that you need to seek out resources. And when something isn't working for you, it's okay to let it go and find something or someone else. Absolutely. And that's something I've been working in therapy a lot this past year is figuring out like mourning the being innocent enough to believe that healthcare professionals are going to fix me no matter what. Like I had this thought that like I could walk into any hospital and they would fix me no matter what's wrong with me. And I learned that that wasn't the case mourning that, but also celebrating the empowerment of knowing that, of knowing that I'm the one in charge. And that's kind of a, you know, two sides of the same coin that I've been working through in therapy. And I want to get into more of a discussion around therapy because I, I think it's a really powerful one. But one thing I wanted to touch on was the diet changes that you've made. I know you've had to go on a pretty strict diet to help in healing your body. Can you share a bit more about that? Absolutely. Dietary changes, I think, have been one of the biggest things I've done to help myself heal. And it all, I was so sick that I, one of my big symptoms was nausea. I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I could barely choke down food at all. And so I wasn't eating for like months, almost up to like six weeks or to eight weeks. And so finally I, um, saw a naturopath and he's like, I don't know what's going on with you, but something's up with your immune system and you need to cut out grains. And I basically laughed in his face. I said, I eat healthy. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I was eating basically a plant-based diet. Um, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I eat healthy. I'm fine. And so then I just kind of ignored him. And then, um, 
a few weeks later, I went to another doctor and she's like, yeah, something's going on with your immune system. Um, I'm normally a big advocate of people eating whole grains, but when something's going on with your immune system, let's pull them out just in case you're reacting something. And I'm like, really another one. And so, and finally I read a book about the same thing. It's like, Hey, let's pull out grains while you're trying to figure out what's going on. And I was like, okay, I guess I could at least try this. And so I tried it and I first started, um, doing the autoimmune protocol diet called AIP, which is for people suffering from autoimmune diseases like lupus. And there's a lot of similarities between an autoimmune disease and a and Lyme disease, the kind of how they function in the body. Like I talked about Lyme disease suppresses your immune system. And so there's a lot of treatments for autoimmune diseases that work for Lyme disease. And so I thought, Hey, let's try this. And so I dove, dove into the autoimmune protocol diet and I started to feel better and I started to be able to eat again. And I started to treat my plates as my medicine. Um, and it worked and I was feeling better. And so once I ended up finding my Lyme literate naturopath who I've been working with, she was very happy with that. And we've been kind of tweaking my dietary um, plan ever since. And it's not because something wasn't working. It's because I hit a plateau with my body or I'm sick of eating this way and I need a little change. And so um, I've been through the specific carbohydrate diet. Now I'm doing the walls protocol and all three of those are paleo diets, very focused on nutrient density, focusing on um, getting the best quality meats you can, getting as many fruits and vegetables as you can, um, staying away from gluten and dairy and grains and additives. And it's very strict eating, but I have to be honest, I felt so bad that if you would have told me I had to eat chalk for the rest of my life to feel better, I would have been fine. So people ask me all the time, like, how do you do this? I'm like, there's not an option. There wasn't another option because I felt so bad. If this is what I have to do, then I'm fine with not having a brownie again for the rest of my life, even though it makes me sad. Yeah. I mean, when you're in that state, I think you're, you're pretty desperate for whatever the solution can be, even if it, you know, goes against or is just different from what you know. And I'm curious for, I have two questions. So the first is like, how has this changed your philosophies on health? Like has, does it feel more situational or do you think it's like had a greater impact on your, your, what you understood health to be? Absolutely. It's had a huge impact. And I think that has um, filtered down to what I write about on Wholefully as well. I see health as this big picture of everything that goes on in your life. And before this, I really focused a lot on food and I still think food is huge. I think it's a huge giant aspect of our health, but I was like putting all my eggs in that basket, like pardon the pun, but now it feels like, Oh, I got to focus on more than one thing. You know, I have to focus on making sure I get good sleep. I have to remove the stress or alleviate the stress in my life. And I thought before, like, Oh, I don't have any stress. I work from home. I have my own job. Um, I'm my own boss. I don't have any stress. But then I started thinking, yeah, but that's stress too. It's positive stress that I still have to figure out a way to relieve. And so this whole picture of health has um, really kind of rocked my world. And I think rocked what I put out as far as my content as well. It's just, I see it so much more than just what goes on your plate. Of course that's important, but it's not everything. Totally. And I, I feel like I had a similar kind of awakening that like, while food is definitely important and how you choose to nourish your body is important, it is really only a one slice of the pie, again, pun intended. But I'm curious, you know, how has it changed your your family's lifestyle? Like, is your whole family following a similar protocol to you or do you, are you, 
cooking different meals or like how have things shifted within your family life? My family has been just incredibly supportive. Um, my husband is kind of always along for the ride. I mean, I think he's always been that way. Like, let's try this new diet. Let's do this new thing. And so he has been, um, completely along for the ride the whole way. I have a three-year-old. She's a, a little less excited about eating kale. So, um, I do tend to cook a little bit separate things for her, but it's really not hugely different. Um, like if I make a big salad for us, I'll make, I'll pull out like a little bit of of the chicken and a little bit of the avocado for her and she can eat it separately. And so it's not been a huge change that way. Um, and for family events with like my extended family, since I talk about it so much and I am not afraid to talk about it, um, they've been like, yeah, tell us what diet you're on and we'll go Google it and find a recipe for this meal and we'll all eat it together and we'll make sure you have food. And so they've been incredibly supportive and I know I'm very fortunate in that aspect. I know not everyone has that kind of support when it comes to changing dietary and changing other lifestyle stuff. So that's been a huge weight off my shoulders. Yeah. I mean, having family support or just support in general, whether it's from your family or your friends or just the people in your life can make a huge difference, especially when, you know, you're already, you know, having to navigate this whole new experience for yourself that I'm sure was very unexpected. Like knowing that people are on board for the ride is, I mean, it changes everything. So I'm, I'm curious to hear a bit more about therapy. You know, had you been in therapy before you got your diagnosis and you know, what, what has therapy meant to you as you've navigated your experience with Lyme? I had not been in therapy before. I'd always, I never had any issue with it, but I thought, oh, if something goes wrong, this is what I'll do. I'll go to therapy. Kind of like you just had a podcast, the quote from Kat Dalen. Is that, yep. that was her name. Yep. And she talked about like, go to therapy before shit hits the fan. And like, I wish I had done that. But thankfully when shit did hit the fan, I went to therapy and I, I honestly went out of spite. I went because my primary care doctor said, you just have like, her exact words to me were, life is hard sometimes, you just have anxiety. You need to go to therapy. And I thought, okay, if she thinks I need to go to therapy, I will, but there's no way that's just what's going on. And so I found a therapist. My first therapy session, she's like, yeah, no, you don't have anxiety. You have something messed up with your body and you need to figure it out, but let's keep talking. And so I kept talking to her and she's like, yeah, I think you need someone to help you navigate this terrifying process of being chronically ill with something you don't know what's going on with you. And I thought, okay, yeah, you're right. And so I've been in therapy ever since. And I am grateful that my primary care physician at the time was so dismissive because it led me to therapy and it led me to this great therapeutic relationship um, that has really impacted my life and I think is helping I hope since I'm talking about it so much on hopefully and on my social media accounts is helping to kind of break the stigma down. I want people to know that they should go before it gets bad, go and have, I've said before mm -hmm. that I wish people, you know how people go for a physical every year. I wish people went for a mental every year. That would be wonderful. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think, you know, in the episode with Kat, we talked a lot about this, about how, you know, we, we only tend to go to therapy when things go wrong. But the whole point is, you know, having these tools to help you navigate when things go wrong. And it's almost, it's easier to be in therapy when things are going right, because when things go wrong, you're now having to build up this toolkit while also navigating the challenges of your life. Absolutely. I think, so now I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and 
panic attacks related to my Lyme disease. But now that I'm kind of through that kind of scary time and in therapy as feeling like a typical mind going on right now, it feels like she's like, okay, let's like stock more tools for you to use later if something goes wrong. And so it's kind of very relaxed. We chat, we talk, and she gives me a little bit of information, a little bit of tidbit, another tool, but it's like I am stockpiling for future. And that is, that makes me feel good. It's like having a stocked fridge or having your oil changed or having a full tank of gas. Like you're prepared for what happens in the future. Totally. And I, I mean, I don't know anyone who's left therapy feeling worse. I mean, it's not easy all the time, but it's just an opportunity to be able to like talk through some of the things that are happening in your life. And that is always a positive thing to be able to get some of that weight off your chest. Absolutely. And I find that sometimes like I'll walk into my therapy appointment or I do a lot of online therapy with her too through Skype. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. And then suddenly I look at the clock and it's 55 minutes later and I'm like, oh, I just talked that whole time. Like it's just, there's something about being with a person, a third party who is completely unbiased and that just makes you want to open up and spill everything. And I think we all need that. Totally. We, we fear a lot of judgment from those around us when we share things that are personal. So having someone who is this third party who's unbiased to, I think it's partially being able to like get it out and talk about it with someone who isn't going to pass judgment, but also kind of hearing yourself talk about it to a third party also helps kind of change and shift some of your own views. Like I, I know I've had moments where like something is really frustrating me. And then when I explain it to somebody else who like, isn't, you know, immediate in my life, I'm like, wait, like, I, I feel like that that's maybe a little irrational, you know? It's, Absolutely. It just, it's a sounding board. Yes. I've had those same experiences. So what are some of the tools that you found to be helpful for navigating sort of the, the mental side of a health diagnosis? Well, for me, a big one I use is called worry time. Um, I, I was so debilitated by my anxiety at the start of Lyme disease. And we've kind of discovered in therapy that I've had a little bit of an undercurrent of undiagnosed anxiety in my whole life that I'm dealing with. And so when I got sick, it just heightened it a ton. And so this worry time, which is where you just give yourself time to get it all out and get it all on paper and write all those nasty, dark, swirly, gross thoughts, write them down, acknowledge them. And then you take those thoughts and you actually categorize them and say, you are, um, trying to predict the future with this thought, or you are overestimating the probability, or you are catastrophizing this and seeing that kind of, um, logical look at it really helps me say like bat away, like the ball, like we talk about this in therapy all the time, batting away the balls. Like that is batting away the anxiety ball. That is an anxious thought and I'm going to bat it away. And so that really helps me. And it's a tool that I can use anywhere, anytime. Um, and I do it quite often. I do it when I'm stressed about an event that's coming up. I do it when I'm worried about like my daughter starting school in the fall and that's got me nervous. And like, I do it all the time and I have, and I do it for maybe half an hour. And if I'm really stressed out, I'll do it once a day. If I don't need it very often, maybe once a week or once a month, but it's always available to me. I love that. And I'm a huge fan of journaling and I feel like that's a really actionable way to journal. I think a lot of people get really stuck in, you know, they want to journal, but they don't really know where to begin with it. Like they feel like there there needs to be a method to it. And there really doesn't need to be a method, but this can be one tool that you can use to start getting the thoughts that are 
in your mind onto paper and then to be able to take those thoughts and identify, you know, what is causing them. For me, I like to identify like the emotional state, like that, that's kind of the undercurrent of that. Um, but even just being able to identify like this thought is, you know, is irrational or, you know, this thought is out of fear. Like being able to identify what those thoughts are is, is like you said, you're able to bat them away. And it really helps me to have limitations to the time I'm allowed to be that anxious. And so like I will set a timer for say a half an hour and I do it maybe in the middle of the day. And so then if it's outside of that time and I feel my brain spiraling, I feel that spiral start to happen. I will say, I can do, I can look at this at worry time tomorrow. And maybe I'll even write a little note to say, talk about like, write all of your anxieties about this topic at worry time tomorrow. And something about giving the anxiety time in my day lets it kind of release a little bit. It's not like something I have to keep pushing away. It just says, okay, I will have my time tomorrow. And that works for me. I love that. And I, I'm going to give that a try. I, I do something kind of similar, but I love the idea of like, you know, having, knowing that you're having these thoughts with being like, I'm going to save this for another time because it, it sucks your energy, you know? And I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you are dealing with Lyme and, and trying to support your body and fighting it, like any energy you can preserve is, is worthwhile. Absolutely. And that's one of the first things when I got into therapy, my therapist tried to work with me. She's like, one of the worst things we can do here is push against the anxiety. Stop pushing. Stop pushing against it because it's just going to push back and that's going to exhaust you physically. It's going to exhaust you emotionally. It's going to give all the power to the anxiety. Stop pushing. Totally. So one thing I want to talk about, which you, you mentioned before was that, you know, you, you lost your appetite for a while and you're now on a very, you know, strict protocol in terms of, of the diet that you're eating. And one, you know, one side effect of this has been weight loss. And I know you've talked about this before, but you know, people's reaction to that weight loss, what, what has that been like? Yeah, I lost quite a bit of weight and I lost it very rapidly because I was very sick. Um, and so I was plus size before I was a size, um, 20, 22. And I, um, I talked publicly about wanting to lose weight and kind of wanting to get back to my pre-pregnancy size and wanting to fit into the clothes that I own that I like. And so I think that opened up to where people felt like they could comment on my body at will. Like that gave, that felt like they gave them the green flag to talk about my body. And so when I lost weight, what started happening, which I think happens to anyone who loses weight is you look so good. You look so healthy. Like, or I know you feel terrible, but at least you look good or you, um, I kind of wish I got Lyme disease so I could be skinny too. And like those comments, I know they're from well-meaning places, but they hurt and they just, they completely undermine the fact that how sick I was and how bad I felt. And like, how could you possibly think that this is worth the pain and stress and money I have spent to get better just to fit in a different gene size? Totally. And I think, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm really cautious about is commenting on, on people's bodies and how they've changed because you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You know, I'm sure there have been people who don't know your story and have commented on how your body has changed. And, you know, they had no idea that the last year of your life has been full of like, so, you know, so many symptoms that, and, and having to 
advocate for your health and and to just kind of whittle it down to like how your body has changed is like it's it's way too simplified. Right. It just doesn't matter. Like that's something, you know, before this happened, I thought it mattered. Like I I can look in hindsight and see that I put so much mental energy into my weight and I was I've always been healthy. I've always taken care of myself. I'm in loving relationships. I have a successful business, but I always put so much weight on my weight. And so then I got sick and I was like, that's not worth it. Like it doesn't matter. But to people outside, they didn't see that transition. They didn't see me as a new person who doesn't see that my body that way anymore. And so they felt like they could still comment on it. And so even now I'll get like, I'll post a picture of myself and people like, I'll get messages saying, I wish you would stop bragging about how much weight you've lost by showing so many pictures of yourself. And I'm like, it's just a picture of myself. Like, I don't know. Like, why do you see that? Why is that the first thing you see about me? Like, I think I am so much more than what the number on the scale is. And so why don't you see that I am a happy or a good mother or a good wife or a good business owner, or that I look healthy or that my hair isn't like, why is the first thing you comment on my weight? And that's, um, it's something that I'm trying to accept is probably more of an indication of the person who's making the commentary than it is an indication of who I am as a person. Totally. It, it usually is when somebody, you know, feels the need, whether it's a positive comment or a negative comment, it's coming from a place of insecurity within themselves. Just feeling the need to comment is, it's, it's something that they're struggling with and, and in some way, you know, you're, you're undermining them and it's awful that this still happens, but uh, I hope you know that it's, it's not about you and that, you know, for me, I, I've always admired the work that you've put out into the world and you do it with such compassion and like, you know, I, I feel like you, you said this in the beginning, but just like, you're not the type of person who's here to like show off their $500 shoes. And that's so true. Like you're here to put out good work to people who need it. And that's something that I've always really admired about everything that you've done. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, and that's not me trying to like make more money. That's just what fulfills me. That's what like, it makes my life when I get an email from someone who said, you know what? I was too afraid to ask how to make a smoothie because I felt like I was going to be stupid, but I found your blog post and you explained it. And now I feel so much healthier because I'm having this spinach smoothie every morning. Like, like I'm going to tear up like that brings my day like to this whole new level of like, that's what I'm here to do. And that makes me so happy. I just love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all jump like 10 steps ahead sometimes, especially, you know, when, when you're a a quote unquote expert in something, you know, explaining to someone that they can add spinach to their smoothie, it is mind blowing to some people while other people are adding spirulina and different adaptogens. Like that's where they're at but making sure you come down to the level of where somebody else at is at is super important. And I, I'm always checking myself about that because, you know, I'll be talking about something and they're like, I don't know what language you're speaking. Like, what is a chia seed? Absolutely. And that's something living where I live that really helps me. I mean, I am in the middle of nowhere, very rural. We have food deserts here. It's very, I mean, you can't get chia seeds. You can't find spirulina. There's no salad place to pick up a fancy salad with hemp seeds. Like that just doesn't exist. You could go to McDonald's or you can go to Burger King. And so I always have to check that. Like the world I live in on my computer and on my phone is so different from what I see every day when I drive down the street here. Um, or we don't have streets when I drive down the winding country roads here that it, um, 
it's, it really helps me keep that in mind that not everyone has the resources that those of us who are tuned into this world have. Totally. And I'm curious, you know, the last year of your life has been, has required a lot of your focus on your health. How has it been, you know, managing that while also owning your own business? Hard. I mean, it was, I, I kept wanting to get back at it. Like at the beginning, like I kept saying Monday, I'm going to feel well enough on Monday. Like I could will myself to feel good to work again. And then Monday would come and I'd be like, no, I can't. And so what ended up happening was I didn't plan on it, but I took about three months off of work. I didn't do anything. I, I had to turn to, I had to tell all these clients that I was going to work with that I can't work with you. I'm too sick. And everyone was kind and compassionate and sent me flowers, but it was very much like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to recover from this from a business standpoint. Thankfully, I have some wonderful people working for me who were able to do like the bare minimum to keep my business going while I was recovering. Um, And then around the beginning of this year, I started to come back to work a couple hours at a time, a couple hours here. And I started to feel good enough that I was like, oh, I can go back to working full time. And so I would go back and work seven, eight, 10 hours in a day. And the next day I would, I couldn't get out of bed. And so my doctor's like, Hey, your body's telling you something. Your body's telling you that you can't work like this anymore. You just can't. And that might not be permanent, but for now you cannot work like that. And so we had a long discussion with my doctor about like how many hours she actually thinks that I can put into mental and physical work in a day. And it ended up being four maximum of six, maybe one day a week. And so I had to bring on, um, I do a lot of my own photography and videography from my recipes and I just couldn't stand up and do that for eight to 10 hours a day. And so I had to hire some people and I had to really let go of having my hands in every part of my business because I just physically couldn't do it. And I was trying to do all or nothing and nothing was, nothing was happening with my business and all was not sustainable for my body. So I had to find a middle path where I let some other people in and it is working. I'm still behind. I'm still constantly behind, but I am at least out there and we are managing and we are improving, I think as a whole, and it's fun to have a team now. And so I'm grateful for that. I was forced to make that decision. Totally. And as someone who is a total control freak, giving up control of certain things is really challenging. And when you run your own business, handing over like even the smallest project can be really hard because you've built it from scratch. Like, you know, this baby inside and out. And so handing off any piece is really challenging. And I think when you don't feel well, um, it's a different kind of set of criteria for what you hand off. Like when you're, if you feel well and you're just running your business, you might hand off the stuff that you don't like doing or the stuff that you're not very good at or the stuff that you're annoyed at. Um, and that's an easier place to start to hand stuff off. But when you don't feel well, you have to hand off the stuff that is physically taxing or mentally taxing. And so like, if you asked me a year ago, if I would have other photographers working on my blog, I would have said, no way, never. But that was the most physically taxing part. And I just couldn't physically do it. And so now I'm back to doing maybe more of the annoying stuff, but it lets me sit at my desk and do it. And so it's just a different mindset when it comes to how you structure your business. That's so interesting. I I never thought about that because for me, it's definitely like, I like to focus on the things that I love to do, but I don't have to worry about how physically taxing that would be on me because I'm I'm incredibly fortunate to be in good health. But I, I never thought about that. So thank you for sharing that. 
Of course. So I do want to jump into the hot seat questions. And these are the questions that I ask to every guest who comes on the show. So if you're ready, let's, okay. let's jump in. All right, let's do it. So the first question is, what's the one health habit you can't live without? Oh, well, I've had so many new health habits that have started in the last year that I love. But I would say the one that I'm on the most about is sleep hygiene, just in general, having a good sleep routine. Um, it's something I didn't like pay attention to before, but like making sure like I use amber bulbs, I use, um, blue blocking sun like glasses at night. I, um, don't use electronics an hour before bed. I don't exercise or eat a few hours before bed. And it's just, it's totally changed my sleep. And I think having good sleep has totally helped me heal. And so I think that's something that so many people think as like a secondary thought, like I'm going to exercise, I'm going to drink water, I'm going to eat healthy, but sleep, you know what, I'm going to sleep four hours tonight. And that just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me either. And that's definitely the most popular answer and is probably one of my answers that I, I, I can't live without. Like I can't live without at least eight hours of sleep. So the next question is, is there a business or a business person who you look up to? Oh, there's tons. Um, in the blogging world, like in my, like our circle, um, Lee from Fit Foodie Finds, like, so Lee and I have known each other, gosh, since before we were really bloggers, like, um, for probably eight years now. And it's just been so fun watching her, um, start with this like little college blog and like just explode. And I am just so proud of her and the team she's built and the work she does. I think it's very cool and very inspiring. Um, kind of a little bit outside the blog world. I love Chris Carr. Um, Chris Carr is from the crazy, sexy cancer, um, franchise. And I think she's taken this like lemons and to lemonade thing that I love and is really applicable, I think to my current health situation. Um, and so I love seeing her 10 years out from this cancer diagnosis and seeing what she has done with that for her business and helping other people and thinking about where I could be in the future with my Lyme diagnosis in the same way. Totally. Both really inspiring women. Obviously I love Lee. She's one of my best friends and I, I completely agree. Like I'm just in awe of like her ability to build such an incredible business and, and have so much passion as she does it. So, and Chris is amazing too. Both are awesome, awesome powerhouse females. So my next question for you is what advice would you have for your 20 year old self? Ooh, so 20 years old, I was in college. I guess most of us were probably in college. Um, I think like stop trying to put myself in a box. Like I felt like I had to be this thing. I had to be a graphic designer. I had to be an artsy kid. I had to do this or I had to be this. And like what I've realized is what makes me so wonderful is that I am not anything other than what I like. I am just me. And that's what people respond to. And I... I would try to wear these clothes that maybe fit into this box. And I didn't want to wear those clothes that maybe fit into this box. And so I think there's just a lot of when you're that age trying to fit in. And I am just so over that. Totally. And I feel like that's also just like as you get older and have more life experiences, you realize that like that box doesn't really exist. Like we work so hard to fit into these boxes. And when it doesn't happen, we're like, oh, I failed. But like the, the box isn't there. It just isn't right. there. Right. So the next question is, uh, what advice do you hope to get from your older self? Like, what have you not figured out that she will tell you you got this figured out? Oh my gosh, so much. I haven't figured it out. 
Um, I think probably right now the biggest thing I'm struggling with is like, it's okay not to be busy. It's okay not to, you know, there's this, we're living this like busy culture. Like, Oh, I am the busiest. I have the planner with the most items in it. I have the most things on my calendar. My kid does the most activities. I work 12 hours a day and like, there's that pressure to be busy just for the sake of being busy. And I am trying to, I'm recovering from that and being sick has made me recover from that. And like, it's okay not to get the dishwasher done or to make this do an hour of food prep or get the laundry done or have this book go out or answer all my emails. It's okay. It's fine. And like, it's still a lesson I'm learning and I hope I learn it faster than like 20 years in the future. Totally. I'm constantly learning that lesson. And for me, it's like, the guilt with not working, with not being busy, feeling like I need to fill my time with things that are productive and knowing that like taking time off and and not focusing on work and not, you know, taking care of like things around the house or whatever it may be is still investing in myself. It's still worthwhile. It's still productive. You don't need to prove anything with busy. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that is learned behavior from older generations. I know it is for me in particular with my mom. My mom doesn't sit down. Like she's always up doing something. And like, I see her doing that and it's, it led to a wonderful childhood for me. It led to a childhood where there was always cookies and the house was always clean and she was working 60 hours a week. And so we always had enough money. And so, but I don't know if I want to pass that on to the next generation. I want my daughter to understand that it's okay just to sit down and read a book or sit down and do nothing. Like it's okay. And so I want her to find the balance between a good work ethic, but still like, it's okay just to take care of yourself and do nothing. Totally. Well, you're off to a great start. Thank you. So if people want to find out more about you and hopefully, where can they connect with you? I'm at hopefully.com, which is W-H-O-L-E-F-U-L-L-Y.com. And then I'm hopefully on all the social media channels. And then we have a, an awesome, um, really interactive, creative Facebook private group, which is called the Hopefully Village that I would love you to come join. And then you can email me. I love getting emails from people and connecting with people. It's just Cassie at hopefully.com. Awesome. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for coming on the show today and and sharing more of your journey. I know that it's very fresh and it's still something you're going through. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and just how you're, you're, like you said, taking, you know, a huge basket full of lemons and making lemonade. Well, thank you so much. It was great to be here. Huge thanks to Cassie for coming on the show today and sharing her story. I know it's very fresh. She's still in it. So I really admire her courage in sharing what she's going through with the world. Because I know when you're going through challenging times, it's hard to share about it because you kind of have to relive it. And when it's still so raw, it's just hard. So I really admire her courage and her willingness to share her journey with her audience and with you guys today and with me too. Seriously. Thank you, Cassie. So just a few notes. The first is if you guys want to chat about some of the topics on today's episode, suggest some guests, join in on the book club, which our first meeting will be in two weeks, I believe, but you can check that. 
in the tribe. So I would love if you join the THM tribe. It's just facebook.com slash group slash THM tribe or just look up THM tribe on Facebook and you should see it and request to join. I will approve you and we'd be thrilled to have you in the group. It's such an amazing supportive community. It's also where I share a lot of information regarding upcoming events, which there's a lot of upcoming events. So definitely in the Bay Area. So if you live in San Francisco and surrounding areas, stay tuned for those because it's the first place where I post because things tend to sell out quickly and I just, you know, I want to hook my tribe up. So if you guys want to join the THM tribe and just stay informed on that stuff, I would love if you did that. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, just hit the little subscribe button. It just lets you know when a new episode is live. Sometimes I go MIA. I usually give you a warning, but you know, that's just who I am. I go with my intention. I go with my flow. So if I don't appear, this way you'll know. And if I do appear, then you'll definitely know. So make sure you do that if you haven't already. And I would love if you left a review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you use. We are pitching guests right now for upcoming episodes. And because there's so many podcasts out there, it becomes really challenging to bring guests on the show. And we're working really hard. Georgia is amazing. And obviously, I am here, you know, trying to bring people that you request onto the show. But those reviews help a lot. They look at them. They want to see your feedback. So if you want to just write a little note about what you love about the show, it would be amazing if you did that. I know I would appreciate it so, so much. And so would Georgia. So please do that if you haven't already. And coming up next week on the show, we actually have a repeat guest, which I believe this is the first repeat guest. And he was highly, highly requested. So I'm excited to bring Dr. Will Cole back on the show. He is a functional medicine doctor. And we're going to be chatting about some topics that I know there's been a lot of questions about. So definitely stay tuned until next week so that you can catch that episode. It's a really, really good one. And with that, I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will talk with you soon. Bye.